see that there is two uh, praises we should have from God, okay? So we're looking today at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 to 12. The result of our redemption, okay? Last week we looked at two points, which was our forgiveness of our sin, okay? Uh, 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 and, and in light of that, we're going to now see uh, a third and fourth result. So today, if you're t- and those two results of redemption is really our pr- application for today is to praise God, okay? Now, this is an application for all of us. If you're very, very young and you just got saved and you trusted in Christ, your first application is should always be what? Praise God. Listen, listen. Every time we come to church, there should always be application. And the application is praise, okay? There should be application before the word of God being preached. Why? Because we're singing the words to praise who? God, okay? That's why He saved us. During the middle of the message, is there a place for praising God? Yes, okay? So now we're going to see two points today, if you're taking notes, is we're going to praise God, point number one, for wisdom. Again, this is the context of the result of redemption. He saved us and redeemed us to give us what? Wisdom. Okay? So point number one is praise God for wisdom. This is found in verses 8 through 10. Okay? Praise God for wisdom. Verses 8 through 10. Praise God for wisdom. Verses 8 to 10. That's point number one. I'm blessed to see the young ones writing notes. Rebecca and... Linda and Sally and, and that. Okay. Praise God for wisdom. That's point number one. Point number two is praise God. We are our inheritance for God. Okay. Praise God. We are an inheritance for God. It's a little bit longer. Praise God. We are an inheritance for God. This is found in verses 11 to 12. Okay. Now, I know we read earlier verses uh, 11. Some of you guys might say, wait, are we the inheritance? Or is God giving us inheritance? Uh, I'll explain the, why I take the view I, that I take more later on um, in terms of, of translating that word, that verb, okay? But point number two is praise God, we are an inheritance for God. This is in verses 11 to 12, okay? So today it's going to be two points, okay? Uh, two points. But even with two points, uh, I was actually spilling into five pages, you know, just by sermon notes. Usually it's between, you know, three to four. So I think there's a lot... Even in, in this, okay? So just to remember, setting the p- background, I know there's some of you guys that are youth with here with, uh, in the month, is Ephesians 1 is really, Paul just, has just written this letter, okay? He's just written a letter, and usually he begins with an introduction. It's just kind of like when you type an email, like, who are you, right? To, you know, from, to, maybe, you know, blind carbon copy, carbon copy, that kind of thing. So then after this introduction, he begins launching with a praise towards who? God. And he begins a really long run-on sentence, that in Greek is grammatically okay, okay, uh, for 200 words. And we're looking at this part. And when we're looking at this part, which is beginning from verses 3 to 14, we see that the structure is that he, when he praises God, when he's thankful to God, he's thankful to God for saving him. Not just saving himself, who is Paul, the writer, but also God saving the church in Ephesus, okay? And then when he does this, he's actually praising in a triune way. Remember the Trinity? The Trinity is what? For those in the retreat, younger is what? The Father, who else? The Son and the Holy Spirit. And really the structure of this is, when you see, is He praises the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what is their each individual role in terms of saving us, okay? If you remember a few weeks ago, we were looking at even God the Father predestining us for salvation, okay? He elect us or chose us, then He predestined us. Okay, we've gone over that. Okay, then that's the work of the Father. Then the work of the Son is redemption. And then now we're going to see the fruit of redemption, 
And we've been looking at that last week. What is a fruit? What are the two results? Is forgiveness, okay? Um, and that we have, um, and we're also given grace, okay? Costly grace. Now we're going to see the third result is this, uh, that we praise God for. Is actually God gives us wisdom, okay? Listen, when, God, uh, when Christ saves us, it's not just He gives us a ticket, and that's it. That you just could do whatever we want, okay? By the way, if that's your view of salvation, if that's your view of Christianity, it's very likely you're not going to live a life that pleases God. If you think God just saves you merely to give you a ticket to go to heaven and that's it, okay, you could do whatever you want, go to whatever train you want, just make sure that when you die, you enter this train and God, then I think that actually is, you don't understand the purpose or the result of our redemption, why He's redeemed us, okay? The purpose of that is actually one of the result of redemption applied. As you see here in verses 8 to 10, is He gives us wisdom, which is now point number one, is we must praise God for wisdom, okay? Praise God for wisdom. Let me read again verses 8 to 10 before we further break that down. This is what it says, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, right? Remember verse 7 talked about redemption. Now it's going to say in connection to that, you see that word, which... There's a connection. It's a connector word, okay? So you see that there's wisdom and insight. And let's re- read verse 9 and 10. He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention which He has purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. That is a summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth in Him. When you look at this point here, this is talking about wisdom. But it's not the wisdom according to the world, okay? Some people could read this, if we don't read it with spiritual eyes, we could think, oh, maybe there's wisdom in the Bible of just self-help manual of how to lead, how to, I don't know, have a relationship, get whatever you want, right? Um, so, but here we see, we're going to actually see that he's going to, in all the details of verses 8 to 10, he's going to specify what kind of wisdom it is. And it might challenge us to think, okay, if we want true wisdom, we must get it according to what? God's way? Not according to our expectation. Does that make sense? I think sometimes part of our problem in life is we want wisdom. We want certain things. But it has to be according to our what? Expectation, right? And sometimes it's actually what is foolish is actually what is our expectation to begin with, okay? What is our expectation to begin with? In verses 8, uh, 9, and 10, this could be further broken down to three points, Okay? This uh, point could have three subpoints, okay? Where you see in verses 8 to 10, it could be divided that what is the provision given in verse 8? The provision given in verse 8. The manner of wisdom being given, verse 9. And the goal of wisdom in verse 10, okay? Let me state this again. Uh, in verses 8 to 10 is our first point, our main point. Uh, first major main point, which is praise God for wisdom. He's going to tell us how God gives wisdom. But here in these uh, three long verses... You see that it's broken down is what is what is it that he gives that's described in verse eight or provision, manner in verse nine, and goal in verse ten. Okay? Let me say this again. Provision in verse eight, manner, verses nine, and goal. Okay. When it says here in verses eight, it says, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. That's verse eight. You see the result of redemption. That he didn't die to save us and just have us a free ticket to go to heaven, that's it. He further says, hey, you know what? His grace. By the way, you guys see the word which there? Okay. You guys know that uh, Greek is a language that is very gender. Um, what do you mean? I don't know. If any of you guys taking Spanish class? Okay. This, is French gender too? Like female, uh, masculine, okay? So in the uh, Greek word here, verses 8, 
the word which is actually feminine. I think that's actually pointing back to verse 7, the word grace. Okay? Grace isn't just a little girl that didn't wash her face. Okay? Grace in, in Greek is actually feminine, the word. Okay? By the way, that doesn't mean anything that, oh, man is not, uh, you know, you don't want to do word study fallacies that, like, oh, men must not be gracious because it's, it's feminine. Okay? Be, that, that doesn't work too. Okay? There's also, you know, um, words like evil in, in, in Hebrew is also feminine. But does that mean all women are evil? No, no, you can't do that kind of thing. Okay? So it's just a way of specifying, just like in, in German, uh, uh, I mean, correction, in, in French and Spanish. You see that the word grace here is what he lavished on us. Okay? The word lavish, the word lavish, I think, is fascinating. When it says he lavished, this word lavish means the idea of overabundance, okay? Of giving things. Of you giving things because you are what? You are rich, okay? Giving things because you are rich, okay? So when it says here, when he lavished upon us, God is rich in grace and he gives us grace. He gives us grace for redemption. Remember, we've learned that. He, uh, part of the result of that is we're forgiven, right? Our sin is separated far away from us, like into the ocean, if you guys remember last week, and as far as east from the west, okay? So now we're going to see His riches of His grace doesn't stop there, okay? His riches of His grace doesn't stop there. Notice it goes on now to specify, whereas it says, which He lavished on us, that's very general. Now He gets specific in all wisdom and insight. That is part of why He redeems us. One of the results is that He would actually give us what? Wisdom, okay? Listen, listen. If you are a Christian, if God has saved you, there will be struggles in the Christian life. There will be battles. There will be ups and downs. But in general, when you look at the general trajectory, there should be a sense that you're growing more spiritually mature. And part of that is you would have increase of wisdom and insight. Okay? Of wisdom and insight. And that's actually when you get wiser... And when you have more insight, that's still the work of God's what? Grace, okay? The work of God's grace. Let's talk a little bit what the word uh, wisdom and insight means, okay? Uh, wisdom, uh, remember wisdom is never in the Bible, it's never the result of our pride. In the world's eyes, it's often, okay, whoever's wise, oh, look how wise he is. Oh, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, someone's self-study, that kind of per- thing, okay? Is this thing. But scripture always revealed that it's actually something God reveals. In fact, put your pinky or thumb here and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. We're going to see in Matthew chapter 11, 25, what Jesus Christ says about the nature of wisdom, of how we acquire true wisdom, okay? Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. It says, at that time, Jesus said, I will praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. You see, the nature of what he says here is that when it comes to things that are wise, God actually revealed to who? Infants. In other words, he re- does he reveal it to adults too? Yes. But it's a sense of humility, Okay. Notice the contrast in verses 25. Not those who, in the worldly sense, is wise and intelligent, but we are saved because of God's grace, okay? And once we're saved, even the wisdom we get is always from God, okay? By the way, this should humble us, okay? That all our wisdom, all our insight is from God, okay? Let's turn back to Ephesians again. The word wisdom, uh, which in Greek is actually Sophia, 
we'll get the name Sophia, okay? Uh, the word means ability to unite theoretical knowledge with practice, okay? It's to know the deep things, but also yet be, what? Practical, okay? Um, Aristotle actually uses this term to refer to the most honorable things in nature, okay? So I think when it says that God has given us wisdom, I think it's actually stressing you understand the big picture, okay? That is, you understand life and death, okay? Um, you guys realize everyone, uh, in some sense, is religious. God has made all of us religious. If you actually look at philosophy of religion today, it's a hard thing to define religion. Some people say, oh, it's supernatural stuff. But then there's a lot of religion, like Confucianism, that when you look at it, they don't really emphasize miracles, okay? Uh, so then, I, th I think that in terms of definition now in philosophy of religion, they define it as things that pertain to ultimate commitments, okay? But what do you believe ultimate reality is? In that sense, all of us ask ultimate questions, right? Mm -hmm. Who are we? Who are we? Is that an ultimate question people ask? Where do we come from? Where do we come from? We all have some kind of mega narrative story, right? Whether you believe God created us, whether human beings is created by, in God's special image, or you believe in a narrative of another fairy tale that you're nothing more than highly evolved primordial soup pond scum at one time, right? And then you evolve into a big biological carbon bag, okay? That's called humans today, okay? So we all believe where we come from. And the other question is, how do we live? And where are we going, okay? So did God answer those questions? Who are we? We're, made, we're created by God. Made as creatures instead of creator itself, right? Uh, we have value, right? You know, we're not, uh, we don't have the same values as broccolis, okay? You know, you, you eat broccoli, it's not the same thing as murdering somebody, okay? So all of this, okay? All of this is to show that what? Uh, we answer this. So did God give us wisdom? Do we know about things about heaven and hell? Yes, from scripture, if you're a Christian, if you read your scripture. Does, do we understand God and man when we're saved? Yes. Again, we could grow, but we have a general idea from the scriptures, right? Righteousness and unrighteousness, heaven and hell, all of that, life and death. So that actually constitute knowledge, okay? Some of us might say, oh, you know, I'm just a Christian, but I don't have the big picture depth. No, actually, scripture says you actually have a lot of wisdom than even the wise of this world that do not know God, okay? The wise of the world could be very good with their language of being very precise with things sometimes, I think, for, for instance, general philosophers, you know, could be very precise with their terms. Like, wow, that's actually really well in terms of analytically done, uh, in terms of defining terms. But in terms of the big picture, they can miss it all together, right? So God has given us wisdom, okay? Then there's the word insight. The word wisdom and insight seems to be very similar. They're synonymous, but the shade of meaning insight emphasizes more the practical, okay? Understanding things practically. Okay, the Greek word here, insight, is em emphasizing things, the practical. It concerns the affairs and action of people. Okay, it, uh, uh, it addresses that. Okay, uh, I do think this is how I feel. Scripture is better than any self-help books. Okay, now I hope you understand. I think biblically, with biblical worldview, but sometimes I feel like I love to plunder the Egyptians. What I mean by that is, I do kind of want to see what the secular help self-help books talk about okay uh, for instance uh, I think last year I read a book by seal on fear which is pretty cool because you know like seals deal with really scary things right you know jump out of planes which I'm really afraid of I'm afraid of heights right you know they 
you know, underwater. And he, one of the stories he said was like, in training, there was someone afraid of sharks. So the instructor was like, huh, you're afraid of sharks? So then he put the bait, you know, all over, smeared all over him. He said, oh, this will teach you and have him actually swim. You know, make that guy swim a little faster, okay? I was like, wow, that's pretty scary, okay? But in light of all this, there was a lot of good points. But when, even as they were going over it, I realized in the end, it was like, oh, be, don't be afraid for yourself, for yourself, for yourself. But I don't know about you. Whenever I keep thinking about myself, when I think about myself too much, it's like, oh, I only have one life. Oh, you know, why take the risk? Oh, then I'm, then I'm frozen to inaction again, right? Then you bring in the very poison that you're trying to get rid of, which is... The self-centeredness, okay? So in the Christian worldview, I do believe, in light of this, it gives us insight. It's helpful. Reading the book of what? Proverbs, okay? Reading the book of Proverbs, okay? Reading the book of Proverbs. So here we see, I was just even thinking about, um, you know, just earlier this week, one of the things I heard was even about protection, where it was taught from a Christian view. And the person was saying, okay, in terms of, Doing things courageous. It was like a short video. It was like, think of the person you're willing to die for because you love them and think about the people you're willing to live for. That's a total different mentality of just only focus on yourself, right? So in that sense, Scripture does give us insight. It does help us with daily affairs, right, of living through life, especially the book of what? Proverbs, okay? Proverbs is a book that at the beginning of the point in my life, I think I've read that more than any other book and is the one that I'm always amazed. Hey, there's actually a verse about this situation. I didn't, I, I know I've read this before, but this has never occurred to me. Wow. Or you read a verse and say, well, this is what it's talking about. How come I never saw this? I know I've read this before, but it never did. So read the scriptures. He's given us insight and he's redeemed you. He wants to give it to you. Okay. Let's look at uh, verses nine. He tells us the manner. Okay. The manner that he wants to give the result of redemption, which is wisdom. Okay. He tells us the manner of how he wants to give this to us in verse 9. He says, He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. The word there, he has made known, in the Hebrew, uh, correction, in the Greek is a participle, which is actually trying to connect with the main theme that he's given us wisdom. Okay. So that's, in the Greek, that's the way you know. The main focus here is about wisdom. But now the participle here is one indicating the manner. How did he, I mean, when God gives us wisdom, I don't know about you, uh, have you guys ever had this when you really don't know how to do something? And sometimes talking to someone that really knows how to do it. By the way, one thing I feel like in life, uh, just because someone knows something well, does that mean they can teach it well? What do you guys think? No, okay. Just because you, someone knows something well, does that necessarily mean they could teach it well, Okay. Uh, I know I give this analogy sometimes. In, uh, in, when I went to seminary, I had a class on administrative leadership. He was taught, it was taught by a guy that was uh, one of the elders at Grace. He was the vice president of Nestle. He was very good at what he does. There's no question, obviously, right? He's an elder at the church. And then when he was teaching, he was saying, oh, you know, church budget is easy. Grace is just only a few million dollars. But then I'm thinking, oh, a few million dollars. How many churches? Then, then, then I realized he says it's easy because what? He's dealing with Nestle Corporation, which is probably what? Hundreds of millions of dollars. Of course it's easy for him, right? There's no lose of sleep with that. But he always, and all his teaching, he always says, you know what? Don't worry. You got it. It's not that hard. But then I realized, oh, you know, like, oh, maybe I'm really dense, right? You guys ever had this where you really struggle with something? And then the more you ask that person, the more you feel, oh, man, that person is getting more and more annoyed, right? 
the more and more you know. But then you really, and then you get scared of asking. You think, oh man, like I, I know the guy. You know, he knows, and he, it's easy for him. And he just doesn't know why you don't get it. And then you feel the frustration. You guys ever had that kind of dynamic? Been anywhere in life, at work, or anything else like that, right? You know what? When you look at God, does he have to... God knows all, okay? Amen? Amen. He's all wise. He knows the big picture. And he knows the very particular details uh, of how things work, okay? You know, if there... You know, God is like, I don't know, a philosopher and MacGyver all roll into one, okay? We agree? And yet all of this, when we go to God, what is the manner He gives us to us? Is He begrudgingly give this to us, right? No, look at verses 9. He's made known to us the mystery of His will. He wants us to know the big picture. According to what standard it says, according to His kind intention. That is, He's kind. He really, he, he gives us because He loves us. He wants to give us what? Wisdom, okay? That's why He wants to reveal to us what? His big picture, Okay? The word mystery here is the idea of things that were once not understood or known, but now is, that, that is revealed, okay? So he wants to reveal knowledge to us. Listen, he wants to give us what? Wisdom, okay? So the, in light of this, isn't this so beautiful? He redeemed us already, it's so costly. But God is so rich of grace, he's not just only to save us, but there's also sanctifying grace. To give us wisdom to how to live through what? Life, okay? How to live through life. And he doesn't give it grudgingly, okay? He doesn't give it grudgingly, okay? How many of you guys have ever been to like a seminar where they say, you know what, uh, here's my phone number, call me if you ever need anything. And then you call, because you really need more things, and you call a second time, you send a third email, and then the third time is like, you know what, why don't you sign up for another class I have, right? Is it, you know, for another low cost of five ninety nine or whatever, something like that, okay? No, God is generous. He wants to give us wisdom, okay? He wants to give us wisdom. Notice then it goes on in verses 10, the goal. He has a goal. What is it in, in, for him that he reveals this? It says this, With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth in him. Okay? Why did God want us to have wisdom? Here it says it's with a view to an administration suitable to fullness of time. We'll talk about the word administration. All your versions say administration or some of your versions say something else? Maybe dispensation? Is it your version say dispensation? Okay, good. Okay. Uh, that's a really rich word. Oikios, there's also struggle of what's the best way to, which, which kind of meaning is best, okay? Uh, I think an example of that is like the English word whopper, right? Could have more than one meaning, okay? When I ask you guys, hey, uh, after church, like, oh man, I'm really hungry. Could you, could you go pick up whoppers for me? Some of you guys would drive to go to 7-Eleven. And then here, here's some malt um, chocolate, you know, the little uh, thing. Some of you guys will drive to Burger King, right? And bring it back. And then, then you bring, I was like, I'll say, oh man, you guys made a whopper. That's not what I meant, right? There's a third sense of whopper, which is what? The meaning of mistake, okay? So how do you know which one is according to its context, okay? And so in light of this, I think the word here, uh, the best meaning of the word is the idea of, of, of an activity carried out by someone overseeing something, okay? There's a word administration, which is more about times and epochs, okay? Um, you do see that in scripture in other places. But here, it's, I think, more the idea of, of taking care of things, okay? Why does God want us to have this? Is so that we will be able to take care of things. We will be good steward of all the things that God has given us. Okay? So He wants us to be good steward of all the things that God has given us. Is why He gives that. Okay? And notice it says also the fullness of times. Okay? I think when it says 
fullness, it has the idea of complete, entire. But I think it also has the idea of also saying, hey, you know, everything is right now not under God fully in the world, right? Governments, I don't know, different things, okay? But one day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. You guys realize when we go to heaven, after everything is done, you know, the world ends, Christ comes back, we'll come back down, live on this earth. You guys realize that? A new earth, actually. So when that time comes, there will be ruling. There will be things taking care of things. And actually, the Bible says that's actually a reward of your faithfulness. You'll be rewarded with that. Not capacity, okay? But according to faithfulness, okay? According to faithfulness. So in light of that, I think there's also a sense that he's also giving this beyond, saying, hey, this is not just now, but the fullness of time when it comes, with the end times. The fullness of time is often a reference to, to when everything is all completed, the end of the world, okay? That's also that. And then Paul specifies a little bit more what he means in the uh, second half of verse 10. The summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth in Him. And summing up here, the word summing up here has the idea of bring all things together, things are restored, and everything submitting to the leader. And here the leader is who? Uh, Christ, okay? All things in Christ, as it says. Um, I love how it says here, does all your versions say heavens, plural? Does your version say plural? Okay, good, okay. Um, for the Hebrews, oh, for Greeks, they usually just say heaven. Like, you, you talk about going to heaven. Hebrew, if you ever translate Hebrew, you also see when it talks about heavens where God lived kind of idea, it's heavens, plural, to stress its majesty, that kind of thing, okay? So I think Paul here is realizing, hey, I have a Greek audience and a Jewish audience. So to connect to both, he throws in heavens and earth. And by the way, heavens and earth, that makes us think of what? Genesis 1-1, right? God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and earth right now is not perfect. But God's slowly redeeming it even right now when people become believers and apply biblical principles of life and stewardship of rating of what, what, what uh, dominion you have. But nevertheless, in all things, when everything is under Christ, it says here, one day everything will be under Him. And that's why He gives wisdom. I do think there's a sense there's more continuity of our life now than in the future. Sometimes I, I, uh, uh, when I think like I shared before, maybe a few weeks ago as a joke, like when I first got saved, I thought like, oh, we'll just be like, you know, like a floating soul in heaven. Right? Like I look like Casper. All of us look like Casper. We all look the same. Nothing physical. Right? We just, the most physical thing we ever do is just play harps and wear like a white sheet or something like that. Okay? But scripture says there's more to that. We'll come back down and ring. And I think there's a lot more continuity. Okay? And part of that, I also think that even in preparation right now, the stewardship you know, uh, with certain things. I think there's even, a, without sin, I know it's hard for us to grasp. Our personality, I think, there will be personality still in heaven. Who you are, okay? In God crafting your soul and sanctification. Again, without sin, with all that, okay? So as application, I want to ask you guys this. Do you believe the Word of God actually gives you wisdom? Do you guys really believe the Word of God gives you wisdom? And if you do, I, you know how we, I know we could easily be at church, give lip service. But I think if we really understand that the Word of God gives us wisdom, does that show in how you spend your time? Spending time reading the Scripture or Pinterest? Nothing, again, nothing wrong with Pinterest. Nothing wrong with, uh, I don't know, whatever help thing out the apps, right? But in light of all this, okay, in a culture where you find a lot of websites DIY kind of thing, do it yourself, but yet do you still consult Scripture as wisdom? Do you seek wisdom from God with your soul, with your prayer? And also, know in all things in the end, you guys realize if you believe 
what the Bible says about end times, you are already wise. Listen, if you understand what God says about the end times and about eternity, you would already be what? Wise, okay? You already be wise, okay? I know Francis Chan does this. Have you guys seen it before, right? He says life is like a long rope, an infinite rope. You guys ever hear him say this? Okay, I know I use this all the time. Our life is like just right here, okay? Like our spec, like you live like 100 years, it's like just here. But then we have all this, what? Keeps going, okay? You know, we, uh, you know, I'm beginning to think about I need to start putting money into retirement, okay? Which I have not done. I realize I'm getting older, okay? Um, then some people say, oh, Jimmy, you're so foolish. How come you never thought about retirement, okay? But am I really that foolish? Oh, yeah, I am. In some sense. But, but, then, but then also at the same time, people would say, oh, let's save some things for the age of 65 to, I don't know, being constant with this church, 95 or something like that, okay? <laughs> but what about beyond that point, right? What about all of this? Do we put any heavily investment into that, right? And does that impact the way we live, right? You know, people say, oh, I got to retire one day. That means I have to set up, I don't know, what do you call those? 401k, 501c3, whatever, I don't know. All those alphabet soups, okay? All of those things, all those things you look up for the right IRA, whatever, all of that, okay? All of that, we set that aside. That changes the way we spend even right now, okay? But how much more so, if you understand that all of this here, there's an eternity, okay, of stewardship you have, how are you setting that aside? And by the way, if you understand eternity, if there is an eternity... That changes the way you live. The rest of the world will say, oh, you're so dumb. Why would you invest in the church? Why would you spend time discipling someone? Why would you spend time talking about God? Why would you spend time actually going out once a week to evangelize? Why would you spend time grabbing lunch with someone after church or, 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 or during the week and asking how you're doing spiritually? Why would you meet with a coworker who's going through a tough time and just intentionally say, hey, I want to go hear him out, empathize, and share him the gospel? That's so foolish, right? Why spend money? Why give 10% to the church? Why do all these things, right? But then if there is a God, if there is an eternity, none of that is in vain. So that is true wisdom. It's not according to wisdom the way the world sees it. So do you see how even knowing and applying the truth, you know how history will end, changes the way you live your life. Let's go to the second point. Praise God, we are an inheritance for God. Okay, It's not only praise God for the wisdom He's given us, but praise God, we are what? An inheritance for God, okay? Praise God, for an inher- we are an inheritance for God. Look with me at verses uh, 11. I think most of our versions says something like, uh, we have obtained an inheritance. That is, we're the subject, and we got something from God called inheritance. Does all your versions have that? Or does any of your versions say that we are the inheritance? Maybe some of your Bible's footnotes in the bottom, or those little notes, says something like that, right? Josh, go ahead. Yeah, okay. Uh, either could be true, because later in Ephesians, Paul will still talk about we receive inheritance, okay? So, we, we do get inheritance from God. The Bible teaches that elsewhere. But also, I think this verse here, to use this word, and the context, and the flow of, of, of everything, I think the best way to take this, here, this specific context in verse 11, is this is saying we are also inheritance for who? For God, okay? So the other result of redemption is that we become an inheritance for God, okay? Inheritance usually, of course, is referring to things primarily in the future, which you get after someone what dies, okay? Um, and I think, like I said earlier, whether God gives us an inheritance or we are an inheritance, I think both an inheritance towards God. Like God gets us as an inheritance. 
Uh, both, I, I think, are, are true. But here, I think, in stating this, I think the best view uh, of seeing this is, I think, why I take it more the view that this talking about the, we get an inheritance from God is, I think this would make everything be more redundant if it's saying we become what? We uh, get an inheritance. You know? I mean, he's saying all these things we've got already. And now I think in light of this is I think it fits also as well verses 12. Where verse 12 is now focusing everything is for God, okay? So in light of the flow, verses 11 to 12, everything is for God. So part of everything for God means, what does that mean? We are actually something for God or someone for God, which means we are the inheritance through Christ for God also as well, okay? So we ourselves are also uh, an inheritance for God. Let's break this down a little bit more. In looking at this, uh, I think us being an inheritance of God demonstrate uh, three things about God. How we become an inheritance for God demonstrate three things of God. Now, I think our spiritual identity, one of the things about us being Christian is we should live our life knowing that what? We don't only inherit God. There's biblical truths taught elsewhere of that. But also, God, we are God's inheritance. God gets us through the death of who? Christ. Okay? Uh, so, at the same time, I think sometimes when we think this true, we could be kind of um, man-centered in our focus. Now, if we understand that you're inheritance of God, I think right away, the first application most of us think of is we are important. And that's somewhat true. But it's not something that is uh, inherent within us, that somehow we're worthy, inherent within us. Right? It's actually something that is attributed to us by who? By Christ, okay? Because Christ's blood is precious and He died for us, therefore we are precious. Does, does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Is I don't want to become, end up being like, oh, it's just, you're all okay, right? Because, because sometimes I also see when I see certain Christians evangelize, they're going to tell the person who's a sinner, need grace, but then at the same time they're saying, oh, you know what? You're so awesome. You're so great. You're such a good person. Then it's like, oh. Like, you know, it's, it's that. Sure, we have to say they're made in the image of God. We need to treat everyone, even non-believers, as the image of God. Okay? But at the same time, in light of this, I think what this verse is trying to say is, when we are, in light, I mean, later on in chapter 2, in a few weeks, we're going to look at who we are apart from Christ. We're actually not just unworthy, but we're ill-worthy. Okay? We're not just barely unworthy, but we're actually enemies of God. And yet God saves us. It makes us an inheritance. Now, here I think it actually emphasizes more why there's verses 11 and 12. Notice he didn't just say, oh, you're an inheritance towards God and that's it. Verses 11 and 12, what he's trying to explain is why you're an inheritance of God is not because you yourself, in of yourself, are worthy. That's why God needs to redeem you. But it's because of it shows the power of God. It shows three things about God. Okay? The three things of God, verses 11 and 12, it shows that we are... Uh, we are an inheritance. It shows God's predestination. So there's three P's here. God's predestination, God's power, and God's preeminence. And I was really tempted to make that another sermon. But I thought, oh man, I'll be too drawn out, okay? So God's predestination, God's power, and God's preeminence. Being shown when we become His God's inheritance. Okay? Uh, notice in verses 11, the second part, it says, Having been predestined. Okay, the basis, the reason why you're an inheritance of God is not because God chose you and therefore, oh, he says, oh, it will be so great if you become my inheritance. It's because of God the Father's proactive role first. You see the word predestined, okay? 
Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the word predestined. We asked, what's the difference between predestined and election? Election emphasized the individual. Uh, predestined emphasizes not the individual so much, but what is his purpose? He predestined you to salvation. Okay? By the way, there's no verse that ever used the word predestined of predestining to hell. Okay? Just want to say that. Okay? Uh, I do believe, well, well, maybe that's another time, uh, talk about reprobation. Um, but I don't think it's the same way. He redeemed us because of grace. But when we go to hell, it's on the basis of your works. That's why in Revelation, it says, right, is you're judged by your deeds, okay? But that's another sermon another time, okay? The word predestined has never been used uh, of anything bad, except for one person. But even then, that's question, like, is, is Christ dying on the cross? Every time, anytime it says predestined, of anything bad, quote-unquote, humanly speaking, things that you don't want, is actually Christ dying in Acts chapter 2, okay? Um, you know, we're huge deliver according to uh, predestined uh, plan of God. So looking back on here, it says here, it shows, our part of our uh, salvation, it shows us more focus on God, not so much on us, okay? It shows that God predestined, then it also shows His, perp- uh, His power. Notice in verses, um, if you're still reading with me, in verses 11, it says, According to the purpose of God, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Okay? So do you see that it's, uh, His purpose, predestination is always for a purpose. He wants us to be His um, redeemed. He wants us to be His inheritance. But then it says, according to the works. Does any version say anything else besides works? All things according to the counsel of His will? The Greek word here is actually where we get the word energy, okay? Where we get the word energy, the modern, you know, the word E-N-E-R-G-Y, okay? Here is showing His power. So us being saved, it's His power. Think about this for a moment. Think about for a moment that we are so sinful in our will, we reject God all the time. Without the Holy Spirit's help, without, without the Spirit effectually drawing us, without the Father predestining us, without all the election all that, Every time God gives us a choice, you know what our choice 100% of the time is? No to God. That's what Romans 3.10 says, okay? Um, so here we see, when it says here that He is, is the power of God. But also think about it further also as well. When, God is pre- when we are presented one day before God the Father, when, when Christ redeemed us fully, you know the Christ will re- present us to God the Father as His inheritance. Then everyone will be under the Father. But when that day comes, we all know, according to Revelation and elsewhere in Scripture, we will be sanctified, yes? So think about what we were before we were Christ. Think about what we were like when we first became Christian, uh, Christ. Far from perfect, far from understanding, probably very still, you know, struggling with a lot of things, you know? Ten years later, we're still struggling with a lot of things. And yet, how did it happen? That's the power of God. Our, to be made to be His inheritance of God shows the power of what? Of God. Of moving our will. Again, not destroying our will. We still have a will, right? When you, when you trust in God, you really, it's not as if like you don't have a will. Your will just ceases to exist. And everything you do is just, you're like a robot, a string, okay? That's not what it teaches. You do. But underneath it, God was what? Directing you to really love and choose and trust in Him, okay? So here we see you've obtained an inheritance, Okay, all that is according to the works of his counsel. It shows God's power. Okay, it shows God's power. Third point our inheritance shows God's preeminence. 
Notice in verse 12 it says, To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. Okay? All of this is to show us not our glory, okay? But God's glory that we are redeemed, okay? Sometimes when... Um, we could sometimes... I think sometimes we could even also what, airbrush our history. Okay, airbrush our history in our testimony. Uh, sometimes we even forget how bad we are. This is where it's very dangerous, right? To write diaries and journals. But I think there's a wonderful thing with that, right? Uh, writing that down. Sometimes I'm looking... Before Christ, I'm looking at my old writings and oh man, like okay, wow, it's just all twisted and just wrong. Not, nothing to brag about, it's just really off everything, okay? And yet God shows us. And all of that, when we become His inheritance, means that we are what? We should be for the glory of, of God, okay? Glory of God. And by the way, in terms of talking about this, this should have application. You realize if we are the inheritance of God... This should change the way we live. Okay? Let me ask you guys a question. If you have something that's very, very valuable that belongs to someone else, maybe it's someone else's inheritance in your house. Let's just say you, you have in your house, in your garage, someone's Rolls Royce. Okay? And you know that your friend is going to get that for their inheritance. For whatever reason, is you're in your garage. How would you walk around the garage? I don't know about you. But I would be very, very careful, okay? If that, I'll probably want to cover something up, okay? Um, and then the guy says, oh, you know what? Could you drive my Rolls Royce to my house? It's like, oh, right? Oh. Uh, the way I'll drive, I'll probably drive a little slower than I normally drive on the freeway, okay? I'll probably give a lot of space because why? I don't want to be the one that crashed to get a scratch on that person's car, okay? Because what well, is really, really expensive. Hey, listen, if you realize... You are a precious commodity to God. That you are really Christ's gift to God the Father. Because you're an inheritance. Should that change the way you live your life? Oh yeah. You remember that verse scripture says you are not your what? Own. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, maybe he's just saying it. But do you truly understand that? Do you see the beauty of Paul here in Ephesians? Right? In Ephesians where he gives us almost poetic literature, every word showing picture, right? The word redemption, such a rich uh, word. Yes, it's theological, but it's pulling from everyday life. And now if you're an inheritance, you should live your life carefully because what? You're presenting yourself to who? To God, okay? Presenting yourself to God. That changes the way you live your life. You want to live your life carefully, and you say, oh, I need help, God. But remember what God has given us. He gives us wisdom. So that we might live wisely as good stewards of God's gift, which is us ourselves. So that we will present ourselves to who? Him as an inheritance. By the way, this should move us in how we live our life. And how we live eternity. A few weeks ago, there was a friend that I had. He lives in, uh, he lives in San Diego. Uh, I saw on Facebook something that was pretty interesting that he was sharing. Um, uh, So this is what he wrote on his Facebook. I actually had permission for him to share this, okay? And and the family's permission, okay? Um, This is what he put on Facebook. One of my friends, he said this. Today, one of my hospice patients, you guys know what hospice is? What's hospice? Yeah, someone where they're not going to be in a hospital anymore. They're just, but in a facility, their main focus is one, comfort. 
for them to what? On their journey to eternity, okay? Today, one of my hospice patients passed away. Actually, he graduated glory. This is, I'm reading now. He was a godly man who loved Christ dearly. He took his last breath while reading the scriptures. Now, that's the way to go. He was reading the Lord's work, word, and then he was welcomed by the Lord. I have a godly jealousy for him, but the Lord wants me here and serve Christ in hospice care. What a way to meet Christ, right? You don't want to be the person that what? Die in sin, okay? In fact, while I was driving, not driving, before we drove here, I saw on Facebook one of the news was someone saying, I guess there's a Mardi Gras party. He was trying to get some beads or something. And then like the parade thing just smashed. What a way to die, right? What a way to die in the middle of sinning, right? Oh man, what a way to die with that, okay? But here this person is reading his word and next moment he's appeared before eternity. Then underneath his Facebook thing, someone asked, what book was he reading? Chapter and verse. I mean, you know, you know, you know, you know, I know we always teach about like everything whatever the preacher says, chapter and verse, please, right? I mean, this guy maybe is uh, taking it quite literally there, right? What chapter and verse, right? He's like, okay. But then the guy actually answered, Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. His highlighter was found on the floor by his bed. It looked to me he was reading in Ephesians chapter 3. Okay? Ephesians chapter 3, where the theme of inheritance is further explored as well, too. I'm saying is this. What I want to emphasize is this. The Word of God, Ephesians, is relevant for us. We will all one day die. We will all one day die, and we will appear before God as His inheritance. And the answer that all of us will ask one day is this. Given that we are going to be His inheritance, how are you handling the stewardship of your life? How are you handling the stewardship of your life? Okay? Some people present gifts all kinds of crazy ways, yes? Some people does it really nice. Some people, you know, I had one friend who was in the Marines, and no one here. Uh, he told me he got in trouble with his girlfriend because Christmas time he said, oh, you know, I'm going to go cheap with my gift. I'll give a CD, an extra CD that I have. Gave it, and he didn't hear for her for weeks. And finally, he dropped by her house and says, and she said, hey, if you're going to give a gift, at least make sure, could you at least put the CD in there if it's used, right? I said, oh, wow, okay. I bring in those analogy as this, okay? I bring in those analogies as this. How are you going to present your life, which is the inheritance of God the Father through Christ? And when we think about this, we are not perfect. But nevertheless, the book of Ephesians also reveals that He has died for us. He saved us. He gives us sanctification. He gives us all these things are also gifts for us to be sanctified. And even the gift includes Sunday morning as we go through Ephesians. The practical part will eventually flow from chapter 4 to 6. But begins with the truth of what God done first as a fuel for us to work hard to present our lives as an inheritance from Christ to God the Father. Let's close in a word of prayer.